Hi, I'm Heather, and you're listening to the Holy Hotness Podcast, where we're just striving for holiness even with the world and life being a massive hot mess. I'm really excited that you're here, so let's chat. Okay, guys, the audio for this one is going to be all over the place, and I apologize. Um, I did this interview, I want to say maybe the summer of 2020. Nope, summer of 2019. Did this interview with Colleen Campbell. She's written many, many books. I'll link to some of them in the show notes. Um, And she actually sent me this book, The Heart of Perfection, which spoke to my soul because I'm a perfectionist. And she sent me this book to review and to look at, and um, her publicist contacted me to do an interview. And I was so nervous. I was so nervous because I had never been approached by someone to do an interview before. I had only been the one approaching people. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. I'm also sitting in the lobby of the YMCA recording on my Apple headphones, not like my actual microphone. So this might be a little wonky. But I was so nervous recording this that I did not get the first 10 minutes of audio. So you're going to hop in 10 minutes into this beautiful interview with this amazing woman who has learned, who has learned so much through the saints and, and in her life. Um, so you just heard Mr. Raymond from the YMCA. <laughs> we love them here. Um, but we, yeah, uh, the interview came on in right in the middle. I was uh, too prideful to let her know that, and so I neglected posting this for forever, um, two years, two plus years to be exact. So I'm getting around to posting it now, and I hope you guys enjoy. There was good conversations. She's a wealth of knowledge. She's so wise, um, and she's such a beautiful speaker. Her books are amazing. The Heart of Perfection is the one we, we talked about in here. Um, she was one of, I think, George Bush's speechwriters. Um, so just a really cool person to know and to talk to. Um, but I hope you guys enjoy and forgive the fact that you're hopping in 10 minutes into this interview. I did. I started to look at some of the various things I'd written about before and then several I hadn't known as well. Therese, for instance, I'd written about before and she has her own chapter in the Heart of Perfection. Others, uh, like Jane de Chantel, I really didn't know much about them at all until I started researching the book. And I was shocked to discover that so many of them had dealt with these same problems. And I think it's important to remember, especially for your listeners who might say, well, I'm not a perfectionist and my kitchen's always dirty or my kids' socks never match or, you know, I know how to laugh at myself or whatever. There's different ways of being a perfectionist. This can look like anxiety, crippling shame over small faults. It can look like fear and a very distorted image of God as kind of this nitpicking um, accountant up there checking off all of your rights and wrongs. This can look like beating yourself up after after a fall that you you know you've already confessed and and it's maybe even it's not such a big deal but to you you just can't let it go it can look like being overly critical of others and overly critical of yourself it can look like driving yourself too hard driving yourself to exhaustion trying to do good works be the perfect mom whatever so there's all different forms it can take and I was so gratified to see as I explored one saint after another. And it was sort of like I'd read about one and then keep hearing hints about another. So I'd look that one up and find out that, that it can take so many forms. And so many of these saints struggled with all of these different variations that spiritual perfectionism can take. And for many of them, it was their key struggle in life. And so... Um, 
I think I had always thought, well, the saints that, you know, struggled were saints like Augustine who struggled with this kind of wild life. Yeah. You know, once he got that under control, he was fine. Or, you know, there was uh, Ignatius, similar story, you know, or there was Mary Magdalene, whatever. There was Paul who used to be a murderer. All right. But there are other kinds of saints who had more subtle struggles. And the ones I write about in The Heart of Perfection struggled with things like people-pleasing and hypersensitivity and... Um, driving themselves too hard or um, being too focused on what other people thought of how they were doing yeah. uh, these images of God and they weren't, you know, not healed. If not really accepting God's mercy deeply into their hearts or not living that mercy. So all of these more subtle struggles. And that was a real revelation to me because again, I think we have this image, not simply that they were perfect. That's part of it. Mm-hmm. But we also have this image that whatever struggles they did have were, not the kind we have, and they wouldn't really get our struggles. But I think yeah. it's important to remember that as much difference as there is between their circumstances and ours, at the end of the day, there really is only one human nature, and we all have shared this fallen yeah. human nature. And there are only so many traps I think the devil lays. I mean, he has various iterations, but there's kind of a few tried and true, one, true ones, and I think perfectionism is a very old trap. I think it goes back to the garden. And the good news is you can become a saint by wrestling with this if you allow God into that struggle and let him begin to lead the way to healing. Yeah. And, and I think the surrender of all that is just, that's the root of Christianity. And I think, you know, the church gives us this path and they say, you know, this is the well-trodden path and you know, follow this path and you can see what you can attain through Christ's mercy. But also being a part of the Catholic church, it does make you feel like, like every small step off the path, you want to beat yourself up over it, you know? And, (laughs) and I just, for me, at least, you know, I think I can see that the perfection comes out of the control And it's like, when I feel like I have no control over life, I find things I can control. And then I really try to control them, you know? And and it's just, it's something I, especially younger moms, like moms with younger kids where they're getting on Instagram or Facebook or wherever, and they see their friend that has this perfect picture with their perfect little family. (laughs) And it's just kind of like looking up to the saints. You're looking at this person and it's, you are only seeing the good in them, but you're only looking at the bloopers in your own life. Right. You know? And so it's just, just reading the book was so refreshing to be able to kind of get new saints in your saint squad. And it's funny how they, they tend to choose us. And just like you were saying, whenever you're researching, then all of a sudden the name starts popping up and you keep hearing this name. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, reading a different book and that same saint comes up and you're thinking like, okay, maybe I should start looking into this person, you know? Right. And I, I've had a few, especially recently that do that. And I always tend to look at specifically how they deal with suffering mm. and how they endured suffering and how that suffering brought them closer to God. And I think I relate deepening a relationship with God with learning how to suffer with God, which is a great aspect to be able to unite yourself with Christ. But at the same time, I'm kicking away mercy and love and grace. Right. You know? And <laughs> it was just, it was so funny because I'm reading this book and 
you know, you've got this sweet demeanor and it just feels like a big sister telling you her story. But at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, crap. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, this is what I didn't know I needed to hear, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> Well, I'm certainly I didn't put anything in there that I didn't also struggle with. And obviously, if it was uh, if it was something I had always known, I wouldn't have thought, right? I know, know. Amazing. someone needs to tell people about this. So, and that's what, um, that's what I feel about that's my passion with theology is like, you know, we've got this huge history of the church. There's all this Jewish history, but it's like a lot of people go, why do we do that? I don't know. And then they just pass on. Well, I don't, I research like crazy, probably because I'm a control freak (laughs) and I research and research. And then all of a sudden I have this knowledge and I think other people don't want to put that effort forth. So you can make <laughs> so this I'll do easy. it for them. Right? Yeah, I'll do it for them, you know? And if that's going to deepen people's relationship, but the saints can do the same thing. And so it's it was just so fun and refreshing to be able to, just in these little bite-sized bits, be able to pick up and learn about a saint that you can say like, okay, they do have perfection in Christ in heaven, but this is how they struggled with the same stuff I'm struggling with today. And you know, I always tell people like politics are supposed to change with society because society changes and grows, but religion is not, you know, God is constant. He's omnipotent and the saints are the same way in the fact that their lessons that they learned are still applicable to us, you know, even hundreds of years later, you know, I really bond with St. Monica because she's got a, you know, she had a rogue kid and (laughs) my three-year-old can be difficult sometimes. So, you know, I bond with her, but it's just funny because it's centuries later and you can still relate to those struggles and things they went through. So if you could pick one of the saints out of your book, what is one that you would like to tell people um, just kind of the, the background of perfectionism that they had? You know, I, I, I love all of them, but I would say that one of the bigger surprises to me was the life of Jane DeChantal. Maybe because I don't feel like you hear about her as often, no. maybe as often as you used to. So, and of course I related to her probably because of her life circumstances. So Jane was a married mother of four. She was passionately in love with her husband and he died in a freak hunting accident the same week she gave birth to their fourth child. So yeah. Jane finds herself at 29, a widow with four kids under age six. She's well-to-do, but the estate is crumbling apart. And the father-in-law, her husband's, her late husband's father, is this irascible, uh, volatile man who says if she wants, you know, to have any money to support her family, she's got to move in with him in his ramshackle old old spot there. So she does that. He's carrying on an affair with the housekeeper that has resulted in five kids. And now the housekeeper wants to make sure she gets the old man's money when he dies. So she decides to try to make Jane's life as miserable as it can be. And it's already pretty miserable because here she lost the love of her life. She's a single mom. She's trying to run this estate that's, you know, being run into the ground because no one's taken very good care of it up to that point. Um, And then She's a spiritual perfectionist, so she yeah. desperately wants to be holy. So she's doing all of these fasts and penances and staying up half the night to pray. Imagine, you know, newborn and 
four kids, nobody helping you. And she's driving herself crazy. Her friends steer her to a spiritual director who basically thinks he needs to drive her even harder. Maybe that's what's good for this type of person. So she's basically on the brink of a nervous breakdown when she meets Francis DeSales a couple of years after her husband's death. And immediately he says to her, direct quote, you're too much of a perfectionist about your faith. And he begins to take Jane on a different road, one that doesn't comport necessarily easily with her intense personality. He says, you know, instead of starving yourself, get enough to eat, but pick a favorite food and skip that one. Instead of staying up all night to pray, work prayer into every day and make sure you get enough sleep at night because you got four little kids you got to take care of. Um, Instead of, you know, doing these crazy heroic penances and feats, be nice to your nasty in-laws, you know, and shush your friends when they gossip about it. So she starts to do this stuff. And this is not easy. I mean, Jane rode nine miles each way to daily mass side saddle. She once branded the name of Jesus into her chest with a sewing needle to scare away suitors after her husband's death. She was very beautiful and she didn't want any guys coming around. And back then, you you know, they marry you off quicker than you could uh, turn around when you're a widow. So, I mean, this is a very intense woman. And so, Uh, She finds this very difficult, these kinds of smaller changes, this aiming for gentleness, simplicity, charity, um, you know, slowing down a little. She's very fast. She's hard on herself. She's hard on her kids. She's hard on the people around her because nobody quite lives up to her standards, starting with herself. But Frances recognizes that what's driving Jane is the fact that she thinks God expects her to be flawless. And so she's, you know, appalled by every fall of her own. And then that makes her hard on her kids and hard on everyone around her. So she begins to walk this new path with Francis. You know, she'll carry a hymnal with her and sing a song of praise when she starts feeling sorry for herself. She'll start explaining herself to people who ask her why she's putting her kids in danger by nursing lepers in her home. And she, you know, instead of being haughty and telling them to get lost in all of these little changes and they add up over the period of years until you reach a point where her children are grown and she goes off to start the visitation religious order for which she becomes known with Francis. It's a co, uh, they're co-founders of the order. And as she does, she imparts this uh, way of gentleness to all the nuns that she has joined the order. And she becomes known as this paragon of holy gentleness. You know, she enters cities and throngs of crowds, you know, greet her with cheers and standing ovations. And everywhere she goes, when people ask her the secret to her, her tranquility, her joy, her holiness, she will say, you know, the best exercise of patience in a spiritual life is with yourself. And your own failures and feebleness of will, or as her friend Francis de Sales says, you know, be patient with everyone, but begin with yourself. And that key transforms this hard driving, making herself crazy, exhausted single mom into this paragon of holy gentleness who comes to embody the very virtues that she found the most difficult to practice. And for me, as a mom of four, who's often harried and hurried and tired and, Mm -hmm. you know, all the rest of it. I thought, now, wow, now that's somebody I can relate to. And I'm not even as bad with the needle. And, you know, <laughs> I know. Yes. <laughs> but I get that intensity and that sense of, no, I got to get it all done right now. And she's saying, no, I discovered that the, really it's not about striving for holiness. It's about surrender. Yes. And, you know, there's so much in this day and age that um, tells us that everybody's supposed to be equal. We're all supposed to be equal. We're supposed to be able to do everything the man can do or, 
whatever. But all that does for women, in my point of view, is it makes us put more pressure on ourselves and we feel like we're failing. I, I told somebody the other day that I, I felt like I'm trying to give everything my 100%, but that's mm-hmm. mathematically impossible, you know? <laughs> and And so here I am. Sorry, my cat was messing with my computer pad. Get away. Um, so, you know, so here I am trying to make sure I'm cooking home-cooked meals and have the budget perfectly balanced and, right. you know, doing all these things. And all it's leading to is more anxiety and stress. And then because of it, I'm not spending my time praying. And, you know, it's like that simple surrender that it's just that admittance that when you come to know God to just say, I'm not enough and that's okay. You know what I mean? Like I'm not enough because you are. So just work with me, you know, work with what I have. And I love, you know, today's the feast day of St. Therese and, and I love St. Therese's offerings because she just was like, this is me. And if I go to God with an empty hand and say, this is all I have to show for my life. He'll say your love proved it all, you know, and right, and that's. I just love, I love Jane because, like you said, I can I can relate one hundred and twenty five percent. It's like the more I go go go, the more I do do do. Especially with homeschooling, it's like, well, if they're not in school, then I need to have them in taekwondo and this and that, and then it's all of a sudden like I collapse in bed at seven thirty at night. And I'm just emotionally, physically, mentally exhausted. It's like, what is the point of all that? You know, it's so funny to just sit down and be like, you know, I'm running myself ragged and it's, you know, it's okay. Cause it's the, that's what we do, you know, as moms, right. that's what we do. But when you can look back at Jane and you say like, Oh yeah, <laughs> I can see how this is a problem. You know, it just brings everything to light and, Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm super excited because I'd love to look into her a lot more. She was definitely one that, um, I had not heard about before. So I just recently kind of started my journey into really embracing the saints. I was one of those Catholics that didn't understand, especially whenever I was younger, I didn't understand the whole saint thing. Like I thought it was putting the saints on level with God. I didn't realize that the saints were just the people who made it across the finish line before we did. And they're there cheering <laughs> us on, you know? So yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's really exciting to find new saints that you can kind of put in your little saint squad and just be reminded that there's people that have gone before us and who can show us the lessons they learned, just like big siblings, you know? Yeah, they can. And they're wonderful, you know, and they're cheering for us. They can mm-hmm. show us what we can even learn from their failures I think the other important thing, too, to remember when we think about the perfection that they were aiming for, and this was another sort of revelation to me that I I, I uh, return to often in the heart of perfection, is that we have to get straight which, whose perfection are we aiming toward? Because if we're aiming for the world's idea of perfect, we're going to go in a very different direction mm-hmm. than if we're aiming for gospel perfection. And this can be true even if we're aiming for the world's idea of a good Christian, yeah. right? Because it is that mom who does absolutely everything 
all the time, 110%. Her kids are in everything. She's everywhere. She's you know, volunteering for everything. She's always got a smile plastered on her face. And um, it's not necessarily what God called us to. Now, of course, we want to you know, do our best for our families and yeah. we want to be cheerful and all the rest of it. But if you really dig into scripture and you know, especially in light of these saints and what they struggled with. And the heart of perfection includes a lot of scripture as well, because that was mm-hmm. the other part of my journey was just going back to a lot of those scripture verses on perfection and reading them in a new light. You know, wait a minute, is what is God's idea of perfect? And more and more, it's it seemed to me that I came over and over across passages where it's all about his grace. It's leaning on him. It's not about taking control. And even in those passages, you know, the be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's in the context of mercy, of forgiving your enemies and remembering yeah. that sometimes, and this was the great insight that Therese had, and she's kind of my pinnacle saint. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why I dedicate the last chapter of the heart of perfection to her and her struggle as a perfectionist, which is fairly well known that she really did struggle quite But it was this idea that, and Brother Joseph Schmidt, who writes about her also, also, he um, put this very well once. He said that in forgiving her enemies, she had to begin by forgiving herself Mm -hmm. for her own weaknesses. And and sometimes we forget that. I got to forgive better. I got to do this better. You also have to show grace to yourself. Yeah. And I think that's what is one of the hardest things to do as a mom, because you feel like everything you're doing or not doing is messing up your kids. <laughs> like, like you do something and you lose your temper and you're like, oh man, like that's how it. much therapy are they going to need? <laughs> you know, because of I this think that's day. maybe the downside of a culture where we're much more emotionally aware. That's that's good in general, but it can make you rather neurotic if you're oh, really yeah. trying. To oh yeah, figure totally. out which thing, which mistake I made today is the one that I'm going to be hearing about in my nursing home when they come to explain that yeah, how I right. scarred them for life. But there again, I think it's there's something noble there you know we want to do our best but there's also a sense that we kind of think we're running the show yeah and I think again that God loves these children even more than I do so much more I can't even really imagine it he can see ahead yes into the struggles they're going to face uh he can see the mistakes I'm making yes he can also see how to you know as Romans 8 28 tells us to bring all things together for good for those who love him he can bring good out of anything including my mistakes and one of the things that I've seen in my life and researching and writing the heart of perfection is not that I've got this licked or got it figured out or anything like that. I would never claim that. But I will say that one small daily habit that I've learned from these recovering perfectionist saints is that idea of in the moment, acknowledging the fall, acknowledging the failure, even if it's as small as a harsh tone of voice with a kid who deserves something a little gentler or whatever. And then Asking God's forgiveness and then accepting it in that moment and then getting back up, right? Yeah. Because sometimes those small things that we let them pile up and we refuse to, you know, oh, there you go. Now I'm having a bad day. Now it's a capital B, capital D, bad day. So then it's just all lost. And I think that's really the discouragement that the evil one wants us to get caught in that cycle of, well, if you can't do it perfectly, you screwed everything up and there's no point even continuing. And so that's why I think discouragement is one of the top signs that you're struggling with spiritual perfectionism. If you have that sense that if I can't get this right by now, or I can't get it right all the time, you know, why am I even bothering? You know, why do I, why am I trying to do these things? You know, well, some of the things we're called to do are going to be hard. 
And we're still called to do them. And, you know, it's that old G.K. Chesterton quote, you know, so things worth doing, it's worth doing badly. And yeah, <laughs> for the longest time, I didn't know what he was talking about. But I think, you know, what he's getting at is, yes, yeah, someday you're not going to do it all that well, but it's still worth doing. And so it's again turning to Jesus and saying, I messed that up again. Will you be with me and help me make yeah. something good out of this? And anyway? I love always thinking like in those moments, you know, uh, when Jesus turned the fish and the bread and fed the 5,000, it's like he didn't ask a lot of any anybody. He literally just said, bring me what you got. You know, when that right. little boy came with it, the little that he had, but right. once it was given to Jesus, it was multiplied. So it's like yeah. even your smallest where you're just like, you know, those small moments where you say, okay, I just lost my temper. I'm sorry for that. You know, you apologize to the kid. And then you want to raise your voice again and you just kind of offer that and say like, okay, I don't have anything else left in me, God, just take this. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, I have the twins right now are 18 months old and I feel. Oh, that's a tough time. They're so busy. They're climbing on everything. One of them currently has a black eye because it fell off or something. Like they're just everywhere. And I get to the point where it's like somebody's standing on an end table and they're pulling all the wipes out of the package (laughs) And I just go, okay, this is all yeah, I you got. You just have those <laughs> days. My kids used to, my twins at that age, they discovered how to unlatch the uh, screen door in their place. Uh, <laughs> my husband comes from home from work and I'm trying to make dinner and all the underwear would be strewn across the bushes on the front of oh house. So all the papers. And that was like a good day because, you know, at least they're, they're safe and happy. Yeah. <laughs> and it gave me, you know, like 10 minutes to make dinner as they threw our underwear it's, out across the There's sometimes and, where I'm yeah. like, okay, just destroy that because it's like, yeah, I'll have to clean it up, but it's also keeping you quiet for two minutes. It's worth minutes five minutes to peace. While I like go to the bathroom, you know? <laughs> this is so true. Yeah. Um, okay. So the last thing I just want you, um, I'm actually going to end up putting this at the beginning of the podcast, okay. but, um, I just wanted to ask you to tell me a little bit about yourself and your family, kind of your background, um, okay. you know, what you've done in life, uh, just things like that. Talk about uh, your other book that you wrote, just so that we can have a little segue into sure. what we're talking about. Okay. Well, my background is mostly in journalism, and I've been... I've written three books. My first was The New Faithful. It was kind of a journalistic study of young adults coming back to their faith. Oh, um, I didn't know about that. I'm going to have to read yeah, that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's 2002, but a lot of it is still uh, in some ways applicable. The New Faithful are now yeah. getting a little older, but they're still there. So, <laughs> and, uh, My next book was My Sister's the Saints, a spiritual memoir. It was a story of my own journey sort of back into, um, I never left the faith, but it was kind of my adult conversion, I guess you could say, and also struggling with infertility and my father's Alzheimer's disease and how the saints helped me with that. And then my latest book is The Heart of Perfection, how the saints taught me to trade my dream of perfect for God's. And so those are the three books. I started in newspaper journalism. I've done reporting and uh, been an op-ed writer, a columnist, a lot of TV commentary, hosted my own TV and radio shows on EWTN for eight years, did you know, CNN and Fox and MSNBC, all those places. And uh, I was a White House speechwriter for President George W. Bush for that a spell. That is so cool. That's like the one that I text my dad. I'm like, Dad, <laughs> guess what? 
<laughs> it, was, it was fun. White House years are intense. So, yeah, you know, one, I bet. One feels oh like seven, but it was a great, you know, one of those great life experiences. What, and, um, uh, what years were you a speechwriter there? I was 2003, basically that whole year. Oh, okay. So cool. I was uh, engaged to my husband when I took the job and he was in the middle of medical school in St. Louis. So uh, I have a whole chapter on that in my sister's estate. Yeah. Kind of, you know, what do you do in a situation like that? So, um, so that, I have that background. I studied, I did graduate studies in philosophy. So I've been kind of all over the map, I could, yeah. guess you could say. But uh, my real interest these days, uh, because I have four children and ages 10 and under, and I homeschool. Yeah. So I'm really focusing more on books, and I still give a lot of speeches as well. Those are the things that I find compatible with this stage of my life. And yeah. also it allows me to go a little deeper um, after many years in journalism, I started to crave more time to just write at length about the things I was really passionate about and uh, the saints, the faith, and of course, Jesus yeah. tops the list. So Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you can fit that, um, the crave for knowledge into your faith, it's like it just deepens it that much further. And it, that's, it really does. When I you know, look into the faith and, you know, the Bible versus the saints versus church doctrine. And I see how it all verifies the other, you know what I right. mean? Like, yeah, you, you know, the saints that are canonized, the reason why there's a canonization process is because the church wants to make sure that that person was teaching properly, right? you know, and that they were, not teaching something wrong because when that stuff gets published, you know, they're just trying to make sure that everything is in line with tradition and scripture. And um, so, yeah, it's like, and they're start... such trustworthy guides. I mean, today we have shelves and shelves yes. in the bookstore of, of people offering us their advice, but really uh, as Christians, why not look to those who ran the race and finished well, even Absolutely. if they did it a few hundred years before we're doing it, oh, because yeah. really the wisdom doesn't expire. <laughs> There's no, no not at all. And it's date. funny because, you know, we look up to people like older siblings or grandma who prays the rosary every day, you know, and it's, right. I just think it's so funny because we have this wealth of knowledge that so few people are tapping into and it's the saints, you know, right. and and there's, there's a saint that can, you know, if I'm super connected with St. Therese or whatever, somebody else might not feel that way, but they might feel really connected to Max Colby or something. And right. so, um, yeah, it's just this overwhelming wealth of knowledge. So Plus they have great stories and sometimes really crazy foibles and, and adventures. So. Oh, I know. Oh my <laughs> and gosh, a writer some of them. is just a treasure trove to discover these sometimes <laughs> yes. quite eccentric characters. And it's a great reminder that growing closer to God does not mean losing our individuality. If anything, no, we become much all. more ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember reading um, the St. Monica, like a little like 30 day devotional book thing. And the first few chapters were on just her life and how she was like chasing Augustine around, you know, and he's like hops on a boat and leaves her like in Africa and she still ends up finding him. And I'm like, they didn't have cell phones back then. How did she find him? You know? And, and one of the quotes in there was like that she was the quintessential, like, uh, whatever century they were in stalker, <laughs> like, like mom stalker. And I thought that's so true, but she was, I mean, she was relentless, maybe a little bit of perfectionism. <laughs> That's right. She was not letting her son 
not not find God eventually, you know? So it's okay. That's right. <laughs> okay, so can you tell us where we can find your book? Um, sure. And then any places uh, that you have a presence, like if you're on Instagram or Facebook or anything like that, that you um, that people can look you up. Sure. So The Heart of Perfection is available pretty much everywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, local Catholic stores, indies, that kind of thing. Yeah. And and you can also find out more about The Heart of Perfection on my website, which is probably the best place to find out about me. And that's Colleen-Campbell.com. Colleen-Campbell.com. Cool. And I have links there to the book, to articles I've written on these topics and other ones, to my other works, to interviews, all, all of it. And uh, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. So cool. I'm not on there tons. Uh, I'm, you know, I try to be present to the people right in front of me, which means my social media presence is sometimes limited, but, uh, but I'm there and you can find me and I'm always happy to hear from people and uh, always happy to have visitors to my website as well. Yeah. Uh, we, I, I guess it was probably Lent this year. I gave up um, all social media. And it was funny because I thought it was going to be difficult. It ended up being so refreshing <laughs> that it didn't feel like penance. It was like, I don't know if I want to pick it back up, you know. Um, but ever since then, I got rid of every single notification on my phone. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah. So, you know, like the little bubble that says how many texts yes. you have. Like, I don't have the bubbles for yes. email or anything. I don't. Oh, um, even that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. So, I don't know I have, you know, a Facebook notification until I open the app. Right. Kind of thing. That, I think that's smart. I yeah. did that with email a few years ago. It's yeah, just, and I, I was just, just like, I was with you know, my kids and then I get these ding, you've got a exactly. new email and then you rush to look at it. It's nothing. And you're just like, Why it's nothing. But then you're face? sucked in the this vortex of this like Facebook, hole, you know, black hole. And then you're all of a sudden you're like, I just wasted eight minutes of my life scrolling on Facebook all because I heard like a text from Joanne Fabrics, you know? And so, so I just always... I, I always struggled with it because it's like, how many times a day did I pick up my phone? So I got rid of all the notifications. So I don't That's get good. phone calls. So it's like all of a sudden at the end of the day, I'll check and like my doctor's called twice and I'm like, oh, whoops, you know? <laughs> so I just tell everybody, I'm like, if it's something important, just call me like four times in a row and I'll eventually break that do not disturb and I'll It'll hear it. But the worst part is when I lose my phone and somebody's like, I'll just call it for you. I'm like, I don't have any notifications on my phone. <laughs> So I'm not going to hear it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it was so good talking to you. I'm so I enjoyed glad. it a lot. Thank you for yeah, having me. This was awesome. Awesome. Okay. And I will, um, I'll definitely get in touch and let you know whenever this is going to air. Yeah, get please it all do. Edited, and then I so. can put it on my website. My oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Well. I can send you guys the link so you can just embed it right in there too. Perfectly. That'd be great. Yay. Awesome. Thank okay. you so much again. Okay. Take care. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. This episode is over, but you can head over to holyhotmess.net and get any of the links or show notes for anything we talked about today. You can also head over to Instagram and find me at Heather Yar. That's Y-A-R-R underscore. So we can chat and be friends.